Amen. Well, let's begin by going back to the last few verses of chapter 15. We're not going to be in 15 today. We're going to be in chapter 16. But I want to set it up by making sure we remember where we've been. So, beginning at verse 22, then it seems good to the apostles, and this is Acts, by the way, those of you who might be visiting, Acts chapter 15, verse 22. Then it seemed good to those to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas. Who were these two men? They were leading men among the brethren. So these are two of God's servants who just stand out. They're, they're leading well. They are influencers. They are spiritually uh, connected to God. These are men who are filled with the Spirit of God. And remember last week, uh, well, let me finish the verse, with the following letter. They sent these men with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. So what's this letter about? This is the letter that contains the apostles and elders' decision regarding whether or not Gentiles who came to Christ needed to follow Jewish law and be circumcised. Of course, the leaders concluded that the Gentiles who believe do not have to follow the Jewish law of circumcision, but they should show sensitivity towards Jews. So how? By abstaining from sexual immorality, but also from things that are polluted by idols, the Scripture says. So we talked last week about that many of the Gentiles would pick up their meat that they would eat, they would pick it up from the market, and that meat that is being sold at market, before it was sold at market, it was taken and it was offered uh, to their idols, the fat of that meat. So it was part of an idol worship. Well, the Jews were offended by that and would never purchase that meat, even though the Gentiles didn't have a problem with it. But when they came to Christ, um, they were still picking up the meat and the Jews could easily be offended. Paul actually said, there's nothing wrong with the meat. You can eat that meat. It's not like, an, like a demon is in the meat. But for the sake of considering others more important than yourself, why don't you give preference to them? Don't undo the work of the Lord for a chunk of meat. And we talked about that, right? And so that's what happened. That's the, 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 the word that was given from the leading apostles and disciples. And so we pick up at verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take, them, take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Remember, John Mark dropped out of the first missionary journey, and Paul was bothered by that. He felt abandoned. And there, verse 39, arose a sharp disagreement so that both Paul and Barnabas separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him, so he went ahead and took John Mark, who was a relative of Barnabas. He took him, and they sailed away to Cyprus. Uh, going to Cyprus would have been to follow the original journey, the first journey that Paul and Barnabas took. They started by traveling uh, the sea, going over to Cyprus. And so he went that route. But Paul chose Silas, 
Silas is the one that was mentioned earlier. He's one of the leading young leaders among the brethren. And he departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, which is where the leading apostles said, take this letter to Cilicia, up into Galatia. And that's where Paul is heading. And, 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 and look what it says in verse 41. And he went through Cilicia, or Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So, because of the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas regarding John Mark, uh, Barnabas took his relative, Paul took uh, Silas, and they headed up towards uh, Cilicia. Now, we all know of Silas at this point as what the, the apostles said about him, that he's a leading man. But for Paul, Silas was Mark, John Mark's replacement. He, he, saw, he needed an assistant, and this is a young man who's willing to do it, so Paul went with it, and the elders agreed with him. Okay? Now, I want to show you, if I can, the first missionary journey, if we can put that on the screen, the first missionary journey. We've looked at that one before. Yes, that's it. Good. So what you have, here's where they're all leaving from again. They're in Antioch, and they're going to travel. Paul, instead of like the first missionary journey, where they all went down to, he and Barnabas went down to Cyprus, and they made their way up. Then they went down to Derbe, and then they went back, and they came back, or then they came back this way. Now, go to the second missionary journey, the one that's just beginning. Okay, so now here they're starting here again in Antioch, and Barnabas and John Mark are going to go here to Cyprus. Paul and Silas are heading up, going back to the area that they visited on the first missionary journey, which is Galatia. This is Galatia, this area. And these are the churches they visited. They visited Derby and Iconium and Lystra and, and also Antioch. All of these are in the region of Pisidia, okay? So this is where they're heading out right now. They're going up this way. By the way, where is Paul from? Anybody remember? He's from Tarsus. So Paul knows a little bit about the, that region and that, that road. He's traveled it many times from here down to uh, Jerusalem, which is back over here, down in this area. So anyway, it gives you kind of a feel for what's happening. Now maybe you see something that maybe you didn't know before, and that's a good thing. I got to tell you, I, I brought my little pointer, and it's red, and it's not nearly as nice as this one. So I'm, I, he didn't even know. This is really interesting how God works. So I'm just sitting here, and lo and behold, Tim Sullivan says, hey, here, I got something for you in a package. I open it up. It's a pointer pen. I said, dude, you didn't even know. This is awesome. I'm going to use it today. So praise God for that. See, the Lord, that's the Holy Spirit going before us. Amen. He's like, don't take that little tiny thing you've got. I've got something better for you. Tim's going to have it. Tim will deliver it to you. So there we go. You are being used of the Spirit today, Tim. That's wonderful. Okay, so let's go to chapter, 20, or chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derby and Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. First time we see the name Timothy in the book of Acts. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Okay, so this is interesting. 
The apostles said the Gentiles do not have to be circumcised. That's not required to follow the Jewish law. But Paul is going to take Timothy to be one of the speakers who will speak to Gentiles sharing the gospel of Jesus with them. And so the, the Gentiles uh, are going to be okay with him. The Jews know that he's a Gentile. They're not going to be okay with the fact that he's not circumcised. Now, I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about speaking to Christian Jews. I'm talking about Jews who are very much under the law of Moses. They're practicing Judaism. And those are the ones that Paul and Barnabas are going to try to reach with the gospel. So, for the sake of others, Timothy was circumcised. Now, it, I, have you ever seen a circumcision before? A little baby? They cry. At, the little boy will cry after circumcision, okay? Can you imagine a, at least a teenage, if not a young 20-year-old boy being circumcised? That had to be a difficult thing. But Timothy did it for the sake of those who have yet to hear the gospel who were God's people. That's going to more of an extreme of considering others more important than yourself. But as a minister, of, listen, as a minister of the gospel, when you carry a role of a shepherd or a pastor or elder, and all three of those words mean the exact same thing in the, in the Bible, you are told in Timothy and Titus that you need to live a life above reproach. Nobody should have a reason to point a finger at you, which means for me, I don't meet alone with a female ever for counseling. At least I will have someone who is at the front desk with my door cracked or open all the way. I don't even go to restaurants with a female out in front of other people for fear that some might stumble who are weaker in the faith. I wouldn't do it. It's not that I think that the person that I'm with is going to try and, and make a move on me or that I intend to make a move on, not at all. But for the sake of not causing any to struggle or to stumble, I take the extra step. I've done that my whole ministry. It's important to me to be above reproach. And that's really what Paul is talking about here with Timothy. So that's what's happening, okay? Just to explain that so we all understand what's going on here. So they, uh, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For They all knew that his father was a Greek, so they knew he wasn't circumcised. Introduction to Timothy, just give you something quickly to chew on. You can find more as we study First uh, and Second Timothy, but let me just say this to you. He was a young man, probably late teens or early 20s, not much older than the boys from Teen Challenge that are sitting right here. Boys, I want you to know something. Really, you're young men. God can use you at any age. He can. I, I'm not sure the adults think that way, but that's what the Scripture teaches us. God can use anyone who's young. Don't let anybody look down upon you because of your youth. You be an example to the believer as a young man as a young woman, and let God take you wherever he chooses to go. By the way, you can do whatever God calls you to do. If God calls you, you can do it. And he does it oftentimes through young people. I'm thankful for that. 
So here's young Timothy. Uh, again, from Paul's view, he's John Mark's replacement. Yet Timothy didn't just walk along and then Paul say, hey, come follow me. No, that wasn't the case at all. If you go to 1 Timothy, we're not going to do it, but 1 Timothy 4.14 and 2 Timothy 1.6, you find out that he was commissioned by the elders of his local church. So as a young man, he was commissioned to be a servant of God. Paul recognized that commissioning, and Paul said, please, come with me. I could use you. You understand the Jew Jewish culture, and you also understand the Greek culture, the Gentiles, and so I could use you greatly. Verse 4, and as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So, the, so they shared that letter that was given. And listen, look what it says. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So the journey has begun, the second missionary journey. They came to the churches that are located in Derby and Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. Why were there churches there? Because on the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas set up the churches. They got the churches going. People got saved hearing the gospel. They laid down elders and then they left and now they're coming back. And now they're strengthening those who are in the church. They're strengthening them in their faith. And the church is increasing in number daily. Why would they be increasing daily? There's only a service on the Lord's Day on Sunday. Why would they increase daily? Because the people in the churches in the beginning didn't see their role as only happening on Sunday. They shared Christ every day, and every day people were coming to Jesus. That ought to be happening at Vero Bible Fellowship, that every one of us who know Jesus are sharing the gospel, telling our friends and our neighbors and our work associates, and even those that we just run into that we don't really know. We share the gospel, and people are changed by God through the, through the faithful commitment of sharing the gospel, and they're getting saved all the time. I love that. That's the church. That is the church church never sleeps. The church is always on. If the Lord gives you an opportunity, take it, because God will fulfill his plans through us if we're faithful and obedient. Amen? So having accomplished the strengthening of the Galatian church, they then desired to go further west and conquer the new territory for the cause of Christ. So verse 6, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God in Asia. So they're traveling through, let's put that map, the second map back up again. So they have, they have ministered the Lord to the churches that have been established in this region. And now their desire, look, they're going west. Let's just keep going west. Let's go into Asia. But the Holy Spirit forbade them to go into Asia. That's interesting. Wait a minute. I thought this was a missionary journey. I would think the Holy Spirit would be excited for them to go into Asia. There's so many great cities in Asia. There's so many places that they could share the gospel. Why not? But that's exactly what's going on. Now, for the average Christian, if the Holy Spirit forbade, what would the average Christian do? He would tuck his head between his legs and go back to Antioch and say, well, I just don't understand why the Lord didn't want to, we just couldn't do any more. We just had to come home. We quick, quick. Not Paul. 
I believe God is giving us a picture of what it looks like to be a faithful servant of God every day that we live. You have to persist. If the Spirit says no, then he means no. But that doesn't mean the, the journey ends. That means you look for other opportunities. How many times when you speak to someone about Jesus, do they say, really? Wow! I want to receive Jesus. How often does that happen? Not much. How many times are you rejected in some way, shape, or form? Most of the time. This is God's example for you. Paul didn't tuck his head and then run back home. He didn't stop. He persisted. Now, he didn't go into Asia. But look what the Scripture teaches us here. This is very interesting. Verse 7, And when they had come up to Mysia, let's look and see where we're at. Okay, so here they are. Look what they do. Okay, we'll go up and around. We're going to go up into this region right here. We're going to go around Asia. Okay, now look what happens. Interesting. Uh, so passing by Mysia, they went down to, Tro oh, I'm sorry, verse 7. When they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So God is truly guiding these guys on this journey, and they're getting as many no's as they are yeses. Being a faithful servant of Christ means there's going to be some rejection. There's going to be some no's, but you still pursue. Look at this. So they get up here, they go around, and now they're up here. They're like, hey, let's just go on up into Bithynia. There's some phenomenal cities up in Bithynia. Let's go up there. And the Spirit said, don't you dare. Don't go there. So what did they do? They continued around Asia. They, they, they found that little line, that little road that ran between the two. And they're kind of like, okay, let's not disobey the Spirit, but let's go. Let's, let's do the work. Of, let's find a way to share Jesus with people without disobeying the Holy Spirit. And they made their way to Troas, and that's what you see in verse 8. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Now, Troas was named... Uh, Alexandria Troas, after Alexander the Great. It was a town that became somewhat well-known. Ten miles away from Troas is even a more famous town, a city of Troy. Ever heard of that? Of course you have. That's where the Trojans are from. So you've got Troas, and then you've got Troy. And that's where they came to. They came to Troas. Now, this particular city had been a free Greek city until Caesar Augustus made it a Roman colony. So now you've got the Romans. Uh, if we can go back up with the map, might as well just leave it up. I'm sorry. That's not their fault. That's mine. So now they're down to Troas, and now they've got ocean. There's nothing else left. And they've been told not to go this way. They've been told not to go this way. Where are they going to go? Well, they're going to cross over. What's all this? This is Europe. This is the eastern tip of Europe. For the first time, the gospel through Paul, is going to come into Europe. But right now they're in Troas, okay? You might know this about Troas. It's a territory that runs along the coast on the eastern seaboard of the Aegean Sea, and it was extremely famous, okay? Helen, you ever heard of Helen of Troy? Uh, the great heroes of the Trojan War, Homer, Pythagoras, uh, Hippocrates, uh, several of the great 
Greek mythology characters, a lot are, are very famous from this little area of Troas. Even though it wasn't in Greece, Greece is on the other side of the Aegean Sea, yet the Greeks had conquered and they made it part of theirs, and now it's a Roman colony in the Roman Empire. So now it has the influence of Rome. So it's almost like a preparation for the journey into Europe, which is absolutely controlled by the Romans, okay? This is pretty cool. So even though that wasn't in Greece, it lay just across the sea. And so verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia to help us. What was the first message Paul got from the Holy Spirit after visiting the churches they'd already established in Galatia? No, do not go to Asia. They go north, try to go around. No, do not go into Bithynia. So they go further west. They're trying to find, find that fine line between the two places the Spirit said no to. And now they get over to Troas. They've run to the coast. There's nowhere else to go. And God gives them a vision of a man who's saying, come to Macedonia. What's Macedonia? Greece. Come to Greece. Okay, this is really cool. Now, uh, Verse 11, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. Samothrace was an island. You can see it here. It's an island off the coast right here. So they went from here to here, and guess how long it took? Two days to get here. Well, actually, I'm sorry, it took a day. And then the very next day, they go up to Neapolis. Now they're on the European coast, okay? So setting sail, they go, and, and, and from Neapolis... There they came to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. So now they go from, from Neapolis, they're going to go to Philippi, right here. The highest point that they've ever traveled, right here. Okay, on the 1040 window, I don't even think they're in the 1040. And so here they are, right here, Philippi. And now we see something that happens that I want to just focus in on in the little time that we have remaining, okay? Okay. Uh, they show up in Philippi, and it's interesting here. Um, God has sent them all the way from Antioch in Syria. Way over here, not this Antioch, this one. All the way, telling them, no, no. Giving a vision here cross over to Greece, and they get to Philippi. Why in the world is the Lord sending them all that way? Hmm. Verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. I want you to go back and look at verse 12 again. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, we remained in the city some days. Why? Because they were waiting for the Sabbath. They were waiting for Saturday. That is when whatever Jews lived in that region would try to worship God and that is when the Gentiles, who were God-fearing, would worship God. They're, they don't understand. They're not Jewish. They haven't gone through the laws of, the Ju of Judaism. They're not practicing all the laws, but they are meeting 
for what they know, they're trying to worship the God of, of Israel. And so these guys show up, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside. Why? Wait a minute. Paul's custom was to always go straight to the synagogue when he would come to a city. Why not here in Philippi? Because they didn't have 10 Jewish men in the city. You had to have 10 in order to have a synagogue. So it's a very small Jewish population. In fact, honestly, it doesn't even mention a single Jewish man in Philippi. Possibly, maybe, some Jewish women. You say, why would the Jews be in Philippi, up in Greece? Because after the Babylonian captivity, and even during the captivity, they were exiled. They were spread all over the earth. And so anyway, Paul and, Bar Paul and Silas and Timothy find themselves down by the river. Why the river? Because if the, there are Jewish women there, they will want to practice the cleansing rites. They need water. So Paul just knew, and probably they had been there a few days, he had collected information of where these women would meet or where the people would meet. So he goes there. And when he gets there, it says where we suppose there was a place of prayer, we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, did Paul know from the beginning when he was in Antioch that he was going to go minister to a bunch of women? Probably not. Would it have mattered? Absolutely not. Because Paul's been transformed by Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. But that certainly wasn't the culture of that day. And it certainly wasn't the culture among the Gentiles. And so Paul is there, he goes to the riverside, and it's a group of women who are trying, and, and some of them, at least some of them, are God-fearing, meaning that they're not Jewish, they're Gentile. But they, for what they know about God, probably passed down from the exiles from hundreds of years earlier, it's, it's come to them, and now they want to worship the one true and living God, but they don't know how. And so Paul shows up, and this is a very interesting thing. I want you to see the, the significance of this encounter as we close. God is launching the ministry of the gospel in Europe, and the first people to hear the message are a group of ladies who gather by the river. You say, you mean the gospel reaching Europe was first to women? Absolutely. And if you go and study missionaries all over the world, you'll find that oftentimes it is women who are at the forefront on the mission field. I think today in our culture, we've got the swinging from chauvinism over to feminism. And we get caught up in all the mess and all the fray. And we lose sight that our focus should be on the one true and living God who doesn't see color, he doesn't see gender, he sees people who are desperately lost and need salvation. And when he saves, you're all equal at the foot of the cross. And God sent these men all the way to a river in Philippi to share the gospel, the good news with Jesus. 
If only the feminists today understood how God is the only one who can provide true equality and liberty. I'm so sick of hearing about liberty and equality and all these little subgroups of people and whatever kind of a thing they're pushing that they're going to bring you out of bondage and into equal. Listen, the best they can do is take you from whatever bondage you're in into their bondage. It isn't found in yourself. It's not found in some social or political group. It's not found in anything other than Jesus Christ. That's where you find true liberation. There's neither male nor female. God sent Paul and his companions all the way to Europe to tell these women about the gospel of Christ. And listen, ladies that are here today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there's no reason for you to get involved in the feminist movement at all. You belong to Christ. Your identity is in him. And there's no man in this room that's saved that ought to be a chauvinist, that ought to be pushing some earthly agenda of any kind, shape, or form. You belong to Jesus Christ. He is your life. He is your hope. He is your liberty. He is your equality. He is your freedom. It's interesting how, I'm just telling you, it starts with, with back in the 40s and the 50s, the talk about feminism. By the 60s, it was completely rampant. And you go from chauvinism, look at this, swing all the way over to feminism, as if that's the answer for the ladies in the world today. And the world bought it hook, line, and sinker. They went from one bondage to another. That's what they did. And we've got preachers today who are bowing down to these false gods pushing to their people, being sensitive to every little thing. I, I, I really don't care about all that nonsense. What I care is that you know who you are in Christ Jesus. Because if you know your identity in him, you can get through anything in this world. And if you're with a bunch of people who understand the same about themselves, that it's not about them, it's not about anything of their, it's about Jesus in them. That's what makes them who they are today. You connect with those people. You've got something going now. That's what the church is supposed to be in this day and age. Don't get involved in some feminist movement. It's, it's an inconsequential issue. Why? Because Christ, in him, you already have all the equality and liberation you need. The whole idea of being a liberal is a false presentation. What have you been, okay, let's think about this. What are you liberated from? Paul reaches these ladies that are over in, and listen, their culture was more chauvinistic than America's ever been. In that culture, if a woman didn't treat, didn't, if she didn't do things the way you wanted, or if she had her own thoughts about something and that came out in the public, you would be publicly reprimanded as a man. Another man would come and say, man, you need to get a hold of your woman. She's making you look bad in the city. It was bad. It was worse than that. I'm not going to go into all the stuff that women endured in, in Philippi and in Greece and all of that. I'm just telling you this. Christ, these women found Christ, and it changed everything for them. And they still had to battle a culture around them, but they stood true to Christ. What, are you, what, what is it today that women are being liberated from? From men? Uh, whoever said men are free? Men are in as much bondage as women. So what is it? What are they free from? 
Well, it's interesting. Uh, You can try to go that route if you want. You can try and find your liberation, your equality and all from different things in this world. All you're doing is you're putting lipstick on a pig. Because I'm going to tell you right now, apart from Jesus Christ, we're nothing more than sinners. There's nothing good about it. There's not an organization started by man that is good. The only good is God. To reject God and go after anything else is idolatry. It's putting other gods before the one true living God. Have you ever really stopped to think about the liberties of the feminist? Let me tell you, the liberty. here's the liberties of the feminist. You have the right to kill the unborn. You don't need a husband. You don't need a father in the home for your kids. You are empowered by yourself. You're free to get up and go out of the house. You don't have to be bound by staying home and being with the kids all day. You take control of your life. Girl power. Try to find a movie that's not about girl power right now. I'm going to tell you something. If we put half as much of our time in focusing on the freedoms we have in Jesus Christ, men and women, the freedom that you would feel. Paul said this to the Galatian church in that region. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, do not again submit to a yoke of slavery. Anything other than Christ is a yoke of slavery. Now let's understand that culture before we move on. It's not good, okay? And then... Peter writes this because of the culture. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he said to the wives, the Christian women, this is what Peter says, ladies, once you come to Christ and you've been set free and you're finding equality and liberty in Christ and you're in a culture where they're trying to pull you back into something that's not going to bring freedom, Peter said this, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Your freedom doesn't come from other sources outside of you. Your freedom comes from Christ who lives in you. And when they see your respectful and pure conduct, that's when the Holy Spirit is able to reach them and connect them to who God is. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. And then he turns to the men. Listen to this. Men, one's, ladies get like six verses. The men get one verse. Why? Because men don't remember a whole lot. I am one. I know, man. Don't, don't, don't lay too much out there on me. You know, I'm just trying to get what's the main point here. So God gives the main point. Here it is. Listen to this. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives, those of you who are saved, in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel 
while the world's trying to gear up and say, women, you got power. God says, no, the women are weaker than the men. And men don't ever take advantage of that. Instead, show honor because they're weaker. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. The grace that God has given you, he has also equally given to your spouse. Nobody's ahead of anybody in our position before Christ. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that, and listen to this, this is the end of the verse. One verse, do this, so that your prayers will not be hindered. If a man is not practicing love and honor and cherishing of his wife as, her, as his equal in Christ, don't even think about praying, guys. God's not interested in that prayer. He's looking for men who will treat the woman and cherish her and honor her. Do you see this? I, I just gave you the answer to this world's problems. This is how you, as a man or as a woman, are to live in liberty and freedom in this world. If you put the blinders on and focus solely on what God has called you to as a man and a woman, you will do well and you will be honored and you will be respected by those who are seeking God. Can't speak for others. But isn't that what matters the most? To be a witness for Christ in this world? I think we ought to stop here. I, I want to next week come back and look at what Lydia does when she meets Paul and how God uses that. I think there's something in it for us and how we share Christ with other people. It'll help us to, be, to, to know what to say and, uh, and also to see what it looks like when someone really comes to be saved. There's three things that happen in Lydia that I think all of us ought to know about. So we're going to look at that, okay? Let's close with prayer. Father, there's nothing like the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we could somehow keep our eyes on the salvation that we receive by grace through faith, we didn't do anything to be saved other than surrender. God, you are the one who sent the Holy Spirit to draw us to you. You are the one that gave us the faith to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You are the one by your word that revealed to us that every single person is born into sin and there is no way to go to heaven in ourselves. You are the one who sent Jesus, who died on the cross, who literally took on all the wrath of God carrying, carrying our sins for us on the cross. And God, you fully judged sin and the sinner and you put your own son Jesus to death in our place as our substitute. When we understand this and we receive the full pardon of our sin, we have received the full pardon of the wrath of God Lord, it does nothing but make us so appreciative, so thankful. We're humbled by it. 
And you want us to now, with that in full mind, full view, you want us to live as children of God. You want us to treat others the way you would treat them. You want husbands and wives to honor and respect one another and love one another. Oh God, I pray that we, I pray the ladies would experience the liberty that Lydia experienced. I pray that the men would experience the liberty that the Apostle Paul experienced on the road to Damascus. God, if only we would keep our focus on you, the things you could do through us for your glory. And that's why we're here, to grow, to learn, that we too, as a church, might see people strengthened in the faith and the church growing day by day as we go out and share the gospel. It's in Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I've got a group of folks who would love to minister to you. We've got some prayer partners and elders, and they'll be standing around. They'll spread out up on the front, both sides. If you need prayer for any reason, please come up. Next Sunday, we have a baptism service. If you have received Jesus Christ and you've not been baptized by immersion, why don't you go to the back, sign up, and we, an elder, one of the elders will call you this week. We'll walk you through to make sure you understand what baptism is and make sure that you're saved. We'll ask you a couple questions and guide you and help you. And then you can be baptized next Sunday. And so please just sign up in the back. God bless each of you. It's good to be with you today. Amen.